right, well, good morning. Good to see everybody. You guys look good. Yeah. Y'all know that? I mean, actually, I mean, you look good. You look really look good. Smiles on your faces. You got on clean clothes today. I can tell some of you took baths. <laughs> I took one, too. So, I mean, we can just, like, give a group hug, and, and we'll be done. Um, we are continuing in our series called Rhythms today, and we're going to be all over the place in terms of what scripture passages we're going to look at, but the best place to start is where we're going to end. So I want you to turn to Psalm 61 and Psalm 62. We're going to read a few verses from each of these passages. That's going to be around 300 or so in the Pew Bible that's underneath the center column of seats. So if you don't have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that one under that seat and use it, and you can actually take that Bible with you as you leave today as your own. We're going to read two verses out of Psalm 61, and then we're going to read four verses out of Psalm 62 as we begin today. And we're going to read these out loud together. Psalm 61, verses 1 and 2, and then Psalm 62, verses 1, 2, 5, and 11. So read along with me. Hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you. When my heart is faint, lead me to the rock that's higher than I. Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. For God alone, O my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. Verse 11. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we read your word and we listen for you to speak to us. And we thank you for just the opportunity that we have in a country that's free enough that we can actually have our own Bible and read these time-tested, inspired, infallible words that reveal who you are to us. This morning, God, as we turn to this time of, of hearing from you, God, would you speak? Would you open up the depths of our hearts, the, the central, central causal core of who we are, and, and enable us today to, to hear what you're saying? I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you're saying by your spirit this morning. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And amen. All right, so we're continuing in our series called Rhythms, and uh, the thought behind this series is that we're talking about spiritual disciplines, and it's kind of, a, it's kind of a, like a word trick. I didn't want to call it discipline because, I mean, who wants, to be, who wants to be talked to about discipline? Because discipline means that someone is giving you a rule that you got to follow that eventually is going to like, like hinge you in. At least that's what it feels like. And so the trick is we call this rhythms, but we really are talking about spiritual disciplines. And the definition that I've been using is from Pastor John Ortberg's book uh, by the name of The Life You've Always Wanted. And this is his treatment of spiritual disciplines. And, and so he defines spiritual disciplines as any activity that I can do by direct effort that will help me do what I can't do by direct effort. And I like those words. I like them for several reasons. Firstly, because 
is telling us that spiritual disciplines aren't simply an attitude. You know how sometimes like you can want to do something, but you don't get quite get around to doing it? Like I really want to get up every morning and have a, a devotional time where I read the Bible and pray and I pause to wait for God to hear me. I want that all the time. Sometimes it don't get done. And I'm not alone. I'm looking at y'all and like, I don't do that. That's not me. <laughs> and so a spiritual discipline isn't just an attitude that I want to do it. It's something that we actually do, something that requires our labor. And we do it such that we form a habit of it. And, and the most important part of John Ortberg's definition is that I do something so that it inevitably helps me do what I can't do by direct effort. What's he talking about there? He's basically saying a spiritual discipline is an activity or a tool that helps me get, get connected and stay, stay connected to God. That's something that I can't do just by my effort. I need God's help to grow in spiritual maturity. Um, scholars, patriarchs, those who have written volumes in church history would tell us that the spiritual disciplines are, I mean, they're a necessary part of, of your life as a Christian. Um, Paul says this to Timothy. He says, train or discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Author Donald Whitney, who writes a book on the spiritual disciplines, says this. He says, I maintain that the only road to Christian maturity and godliness passes through the practice of spiritual disciplines. And so it's fair to say that as Christians, we want to make the spiritual disciplines a part of the rhythm of our lives. We want it to be systematic. We actually want it to be one of the habits that, um, that we're doing all the time, daily, so that they are aiding us in growing closer to God, connecting to him, and become more spiritually mature. But the hard part is it requires work on your part. And that's what we're going to talk about today. So last week, this is our third week in this series. Last week, we talked about Bible intake, just reading the Bible, studying the Bible, meditating on the Bible, memorizing, getting God's word into us. And today, we're going to talk about prayer. In fact, we're going to take the next two weeks and talk about prayer. Today is talking about listening to God in prayer. Next week, we're going to talk about talking to God in prayer. I don't know about you, but I mean, when I think about prayer, a lot of things come up. One of, my, one of the first things that comes up, I, I'm a little crazy, all right? So my favorite scene, um, one of my favorite movies, and my favorite scene in this movie, Christmas Vacation, all right, we're only like a month past Christmas, a little bit less than that. Um, remember the scene, it's towards the end of the movie, they're around a dinner table, they're celebrating Christmas dinner, and Chevy Chase's character asks his older aunt to say the, to say the grace, and I mean, she can barely hear let alone understand what he's saying. So her husband says, he wants you to give the blessing. And so she stands up, she puts her hand over her heart, and guess what she does? She says the Pledge of Allegiance. I mean, so you might have grown up in a family when it was prayer time, you actually did the Pledge of Allegiance. When I was young, I didn't grow up as a Christian, but I, I actually did go to church often out of tradition. That's a lot of black families in the South do that. And what I, learned that, what, what I learned about prayer as a young kid, sitting in, you know, sitting in the aisle, my parents making me stay awake, was, uh, was when the deacon or the trustee came up, and he had a suit on, he had a booming voice, and he's praying these formal, I, you know, those kind of prayers, and it's, thou, O Lord, and he is praying one of those prayers like, God, if, if, there, if there's every time I need you, that we need you, we need you now. 
And while that prayer is going, you got all this other, I mean, it's just like an emotional event. The, the organ is playing, the choir is humming. I mean, the saints are swaying back and forth. And that to me was what prayer, prayer was. But perhaps for you, prayer is like, I mean, well, it's, it's just when you're in trouble. It's like, Lord, help me. Get me out of this trouble. It's like one of those flare prayers that we send up. Or for you, maybe it might be that prayer is um, you're on a sports team and it's the Our Father that you say on the bus as you're getting ready to go on your trip, you know, asking the Lord above to give you success uh, as you're on the field doing your thing. Prayer means a lot of things to a lot of people, but the basic idea of prayer is that prayer is communication from us to God and God to us. But more importantly, prayer is relationship. Prayer is God funneling a a relationship with us whereby we can communicate with him. You might have heard this story before. It's actually true. Um, Dan Rather, who was the the CBS anchor, had the privilege of interviewing Mother Teresa uh, before she died. She died in 97, so this was a couple decades ago. But obviously being the... I mean, the, the spiritual person that she is, he asked her about her life and her connection to God. And, and so Dan Rather asked Mother Teresa, I mean, so when you pray, I mean, what do you say? And she says, well, I, I listen. And so Dan Rather, being the expert interviewer, he, he turns, the, turns the question around. and says, oh, well, okay, so as you're listening to God, what is he saying to you? And she looked at him, and obviously Dan rather didn't know what to say. I mean, what do you say? You, he, what do you do? Um, so what's God saying? And then she says, well, God listens. He was confused, didn't know what to say. And so she helps him out by basically saying, well, check it out. If, she didn't say check it out. If, if you don't understand that, I can't explain it to you. I mean, that was, a, that was an interesting interchange. But what I take from it, firstly, that was deep. I mean, Mother Teresa was one deep lady. But here's, here's, the, here's the real deal about that. Dan Rather had no idea what Mother Teresa was talking about in regards to her relationship with God. But the other truth is we have no idea what she was talking about either. A lot of us aren't that spiritually mature that we can understand that in her prayer life, she listened, but also that God was listening. And what that shows us more than anything is the difficulty, the, the, I mean, the, just, the, just the obvious point. Prayer is hard, isn't it? Prayer is downright hard. Um, if there's anything that Christians habitually feel guilty about, the first is what we talked about last week. It's about reading our Bible. I mean, we feel guilty because it's in us to do it, but sometimes it's like that attitude. I want to do it, but sometimes it just, it just doesn't happen. Prayer is that other thing. I mean, we beat ourselves up because we want to pray. The Holy Spirit in us beckons us to come and to communicate with God. But sometimes, because of many reasons, it just does not happen. Um, Just to be honest with you, prayer is not one of my favorite Christian things to do. And I'm your pastor, so I know if I feel like that sometimes, um, I, I know how you're feeling. And it's not that I don't want to pray. It's, it's, I, I love to read the Word. I love to study. Prayer throughout my Christian life has been one of those things I've, I've had to work at it. And to be honest with you, sometimes it's hit and miss. Sometimes I get up in the morning and I miss. Like, I don't do it. And I know I should. But especially, one of the harder things that we get to do, that we should do as a Christian, 
is to listen to God in our prayers. And I will tell you why, at least why in my life. The first is I'm just busy. I'm too busy. I don't make the time to do the very thing that God is calling me to, to, um, to, you know, to create a more uh, a mature relationship between he and I. But, but more than that, uh, I think we don't know how to deal with the silence. I'm old enough that I remember what life without a TV was like. It wasn't that TVs did not exist, but for the first, I don't know, six or seven years of my life, we had no TV in the home because I don't think my parents could afford one. Um, some of you, only a few of you, are old enough in this room to remember when there was no, there was no cable TV. Any of y'all remember when there was no cable TV? All right. 15% of you. All right, there, are, there used to be a time where there was no internet. Like, oh, what in the world? Cell phones, mobile phones didn't even come around until the 90s. And I, you, any of y'all remember the, like, those bricks that we used to have, like plug them up to the, uh, the, the cigarette light or the thing in your, in your car? So I'm old enough to remember a time where, you know, we didn't have the technology that we have today. But I would tell you, I, I'm, I'm in it to win it. I love the 21st century. And I'm not knocking the things that technology gives us. In fact, my favorite, my favorite um, technological thing that we have in all the things that we have is not my phone, it's not the cars, it's, it's not the internet, it's my microwave. <laughs> I, I'm as instant as they come, especially with my coffee. Like, my coffee got... My, my coffee got cold this morning. I wish I had a microwave handy so I could put it back in and warm it up. Some of y'all saying, yuck, I, I microwave my coffee. Here's the thing. Many of us, uh, we, we have no idea of what to do with the silence, but I would tell you because I've, you know, I was forced because of the, the era that I, I lived in, the, the trade-off that we miss because of our modern society is, is steep. We don't know what to do with the silence. We very seldom sit in silence. What's the first thing that you do when you get in your car? For most of you, you don't have to do anything because it just does it automatically. You got your phone is on Bluetooth, connects with your car, and you're either in a conversation on the phone or the music that you have playing on your phone is going to just start blasting off. You don't even have to turn your radio on. Or the radio is already on it, it just comes on when you crank the car. Think about your TV. There are some people that I know that never turn their TV off, home or not home. It's just one of those, perhaps it's a security precaution. Uh, I think it's just they just don't know what to do with the silence. And so we, we come home, the TV's on, and whether you're watching the TV or not, there's this noise, this hum in the background. And if the hum ever dies down, you change it to another channel that's going to give you that that background noise, that white noise that you think you need. Very few of us come home, sit on the couch, sit in quiet. We have to find some way to fill that quietness. And so the pattern of our lives is constant sound from the moment we wake up until the moment we go to bed at night. And some of you go to bed listening to music because it just it's, it's what you've always done. It's what was done to you as you were, were growing up as a baby. But I say more, more than just sound, many of us are in a constant state of speed. We're in a hurry. We do everything quick. We eat fast. We walk fast. Before you know it, you've, you've not had a, a space in your entire day where you've sat down in the quiet and done nothing. How do I know that? Because I'm like that. 
constant sound, constant speed, it makes it very difficult for us to, to develop this discipline of listening. And so here's my point, my point without even making a point. Um, prayer is hard, and we desperately need it. We desperately need both to speak to God, but also to hear him speak to us. And that's really why we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about prayer, and more importantly today, talking about listening to God in prayer. And the best place for us to start is where we left off last week. Last week, we talked about Bible intake. And what Bible intake is, in, to say it in a different word, is God revealing himself to us. It's God speaking to us. God speaks. And the primary way that he speaks, that he reveals himself to us, is what we talked about last week. It's through his written word. That's one of the reasons why the Bible is preached. God has always used uh, priests and prophets. And in the New Testament, he uses pastors and elders to proclaim God's word to his people so that they would love him and obey him. And so God speaks to us by his word. But the Bible says that God doesn't only speak to us by his word. He speaks to us through what he's made. That's what Paul says in Romans 1, that God is revealing uh, all kinds of things about who he is just in the, the, the world that we see, the, the sky, the clouds, the birds that fly, the mountains, the, the oceans, and the streams that flow. Humanity itself, God is speaking to us through all those things that he has made. That's Theologians call that general revelation. But God also speaks to us through a special revelation. And that special revelation is, is God coming and making himself known to you. He's, he speaks to you in a way that you can understand. And he awakens your soul that eventually you will repent of your sins and come to faith in Jesus. That's special revelation. God speaks to us through the incarnation, where God himself enters into our world, into humanity in the form of the second person of the Trinity, the God-man himself, Jesus. And of course, Jesus on the earth speaks God's words to us. God speaks through his church. The church isn't a building. Obviously, we don't have a building. We meet in a school. The church is people. So God speaks to us through people, the community of God. And this is important, and one of the reasons why our church is built on this idea of community groups is, is this idea that God speaks to us through other people. There are, very, there are very few things that God calls you to do by yourself. The rest of those things, God wants you to grow and learn to, to follow Jesus alongside rubbing shoulders with other people. And so in community with other people who are, you know, tracking along, trying to love and serve God, he speaks. He speaks through our circumstance. He speaks through our lives. He speaks uh, as we uh, draw from the, the, the word of God and are able to share with others what we are learning. Would it be fair to say that God speaks through everything? That if God is everywhere, that if he is there all the time, then, then this is what God is doing in our lives. He's trying to press into every part of our day and he's trying to communicate with us. That's what Job says. Job says, God is always speaking. But our difficulty is we can't discern what he's saying. Some of us are very unaware that God is speaking through a myriad of means. Why? Because we live in this wall of noise and technology and of confusion. And it's blocking out any semblance of God just breaking in ever so slightly into our world. But God wants to communicate to your heart. 
God actually wants to speak to us in our prayers. And so if God is speaking, we should be listening. All right, so we're going to look at four passages of Scripture pretty quickly. Uh, some of these we aren't going to actually read. I'm going to tell you a story and then draw some lessons out, and then we're going to end up in uh, the psalm that we, that we uh, looked at at the beginning of our, of our service here. And so we're talking about ways that God speaks to us and how we should be listening to him in prayer. And the first passage of Scripture we're going to talk about is 1 Kings 19. 1 Kings 19. Um, this is one of, my, one of my favorite stories in all of the Bible. Um, it's an interesting story. It's the narrative of Elijah and his interchange with uh, one of the northern, uh, northern kings, uh, King Ahab, who happens to be one of the most evil uh, kings in all of the history of Israel. Uh, but it also talks about his wife, Jezebel, who is the most wicked woman in all the Bible, Jezebel. And so, interesting story. Um, Elijah is a prophet of God, and God has sent him to do what the prophets do. They speak on behalf of God to his people. And in chapter 18 of 1 Kings, God sends Elijah to speak to Ahab and his host of prophets, the prophets of Baal, who are false prophets, and to, uh, to condemn them because they, they're not worshiping the true God. Uh, they, they are not following the, the laws of God, the commands of God. They have abandoned them. And so Elijah comes and uh, he challenges Ahab and his false prophets. And he says, all right, so this is what we're going to do. Um, let's build an altar. Let's Let's offer a sacrifice, and let's see which God is the Lord. The, the God that responds and consumes the sacrifice by fire, that's the one true God. And so he allows the prophets of Baal to go first. They, they have two bulls. He gives them one bull. He keeps one for himself. And the prophets of Baal um, build an altar. They sacrifice the, uh, the bull, and then they start calling on their God. And they're, they're, they're calling down mantras, and they're cutting themselves, and they're dancing, and they're shouting. Nothing happens. Elijah's taunting them, like, where's your God? Where's your God? And then Elijah's turn comes up. He erects uh, an altar. He places uh, 12 stones there, representing the 12 tribes of Israel. He tells his servants to dump, like, tons of water on the sacrifice, on top of it. And then he prays to God. And guess what? God shows up. Like big wind, huge, consuming fire. God consumes the sacrifice, and that must have energized Elijah like nothing else has. So he goes and he chases those false prophets and he kills them. He takes a sword and he kills 450 prophets of Baal. And then, next scene, he comes back, he encourages Ahab Look, God is calling you to be a true king to his people. And then he leaves. Ahab goes back and tells his wife, and Jezebel is like mad, like mad, mad, capital M. And she sends a messenger to tell Elijah, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to do the same thing that you did to all of my prophets. And so guess what Elijah does? Elijah does, I mean, he does what every man who's being chased by an evil woman, <laughs> he does what every man being chased by an evil woman does. He escapes for fear of his life, right? And so God, God catches up with him. God provides, I mean, God protects him. 
He cares for him. He provides a, a broom tree to, you know, to, to just provide, make provision for Elijah. And then he tells Elijah to go to a mountain and to position himself in a cave and wait for him to come speak to him. And so, 1 Kings 19, Elijah's in this cave on a mountain, and he's expecting God to come and present himself. Speak to me something. I don't even know, I don't think Elijah knew how God was going to come. But obviously, it wasn't going to be in the way that Elijah was already communicating with God. And so the first thing that happens is God sends a wind. And it's like not just your, your normal, like, Kansas wind. It's like a wind, like a storm kind of wind, a wind that would have blown you over if you had just stuck your nose out of that cave. And Elijah's expecting to, like, God is going to say something, do something in that wind. God is not in the wind. He's not in the storm. And then God sends an earthquake, and the earthquake shakes the mountain, like a, a, a mountain dug deep into the ground that goes all the way up to the, the tumult. And God is, uh, Elijah's expecting God to do something, to say something through that mountain. God is not in the earthquake. And then God sends a fire. And of course, Elijah's thinking, all right, God's a consuming fire. I remember that scripture verse. I remember God uh, led Israel by a pillar of fire at night. Surely God is going to be in this fire and he's going to consume everything around him and he's going to invite me to come and commune with him like he did with Moses. And God is not in the fire. And I don't know how much time passed, but after that, there's this low sounding whisper. In the Hebrew, the words are thin silence, a still small voice. There's this quiet moment, and guess what? God is there. God is speaking. Here's a, here's a couple things I think that we should see in, in Elijah's life, particularly this interchange uh, right here where God sends him to a cave and comes unexpectedly in this quiet, thin silence and speaks to Elijah. Here's the first. I think God is inviting us to run after him, to run to him after we've had an exhaustive activity or event in our life. God wants to care for us. He wants to meet us. He wants to replenish us before you launch back out into other extraneous opportunities of activity. And that's a good point, because, you know, sometimes, I mean, people like us in D.C., I mean, we just, we're in a rat race. We'll go, and we'll go, and we'll go, and we'll go, and we never have a respite. We never, like, take the time to stop and just, and just to rest. And God was calling Elijah to that. But here's the, here's the main lesson I think we're getting for, from Elijah. God is calling us to quiet ourselves in activity because God wants to speak to us. Have you ever thought that God might want to say something to you and that because your life is so busy or you've got noise all around you that he can't get through that? And so he's, I mean, maybe the best way would just stop the noise. God wants to speak to us, but sometimes he can't hear us because there's all kinds of things in our way, physical things and things within us. And I would tell you, this calls for the disciplines of, of silence and solitude. I'm going to talk a little bit about that at the end of my sermon. Silence is, is you not saying anything, but attempting to listen. Solitude, you being by yourself, being alone. 
turn off the noise. Turn the TV off, close your internet down, put your smartphone down, perhaps even take away your music. I don't know about you, that scares me. My phone never gets turned off. I'm always expecting somebody to text me, want to get in touch with me. I think most of us hate silence and solitude. I think most of us are scared of silence and solitude because we've never experienced it truly before. Ask yourself this, are you attuned to God's voice in the low whisper in the thin silence? Because he's trying to speak to you there. The second passage of scripture we, is a familiar passage of scripture. We uh, looked at it two weeks ago. It's Luke 10, 38 through 42. And this is the story of, of Mary and Martha. What's interesting about Mary and Martha is Jesus, I mean, these were Jesus' friends. Of course, in another passage of scripture, we know that Mary and Martha had a brother named Lazarus, and Lazarus ended up dying, and Jesus comes and comforts both of them and resurrects Lazarus from the dead. And so this would have been like a family affair. Jesus loved these, um, these siblings like they were his own. And we don't know a whole bunch about the story, but we do know, of course, that the, the, the text tells us Martha, in verse 40, was distracted with much serving. Um, and that makes sense. Think about it. Jesus was coming to your house. She would have loved Jesus. They would have had some inkling that there was something special about Jesus. And it doesn't tell us this, but Jesus doesn't come by himself nowhere in the Bible. He always has an entourage. Very likely, the 12 disciples who travel with him everywhere are with them, and they had some clip. I mean, some, some hang, uh, yeah, stragglers. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. There were some stragglers. There, there was, can you imagine? I mean, there were not just Jesus, but Jesus' friends and some people. I mean, all these people were coming to Mary's and Martha's house, and why is Martha frantic? Because she's got to clean the house because Jesus is coming. She also wants to make a nice meal for Jesus, whatever the custom of the day would have been. And there's all these other people that she would have been expected to, I mean, to, to provide for. I mean, who wouldn't have been anxious and stressed out with an event like that? We're also told about Mary. And, the, of, of course, we have the disposition of, of Martha, who's distracted because she's serving, and she has a right to be, but then we, we see this picture of Mary, and we're told that Mary is sitting at the Lord's feet, listening to his teaching. Two sisters, two dispositions. Interestingly, Jesus is interacting with both of them. And at some point, Martha just, I mean, she's had it. And so she's like, comes to Jesus and complains. Lord, I mean, aren't you, I mean, you see all these people. I'm okay with you brought, I'm okay with you brought them but at least tell my sister to get up and help me. I mean, Jesus, don't you see all the stuff that I'm having to do to make you comfortable? Don't you see all the serving I'm doing? I'm serving at church. I'm leading a community group. I'm, I'm, I'm involved in my community. I'm teaching. I'm working. I'm answering emails. Jesus, don't you see that all this stuff that I'm doing, not just here, but all over the place, I'm doing it for you? The least you can do is tell my sister to come help me. And Jesus responds, verse 41, Martha, Martha. Jesus wasn't rebuking her. I think Jesus is trying to connect with her. He's trying to connect with her at a very intimate, heartfelt level. And it always interests me the way that Jesus connects with her. 
he, he connects with her on the, the, the point of her anxiety and her stress. Jesus is interested that in this moment that Martha is stressed out and she's anxious about life. He's interested, concerned even, with the level of Mary's, of, of Martha's stress. And I would say many of us are just like Martha. We live in this crazy, busy world. We're filled with worry, stress, anxiety. And, and Jesus is coming to us, trying to talk to us, and he's saying, hey, I got an answer. I got an answer for the stress of your life, but it's going to require you to do something. And here's what it is. He's calling us away from the busyness and the stress of our life. He's asking you just for a moment, a moment out of every day, a couple moments a week, perhaps one moment out of all the weeks, you know, all, uh, every day of the week, to, to put down all the things that would require of you, of your labor and of your time and of your attention, and take a moment for the most important thing, spending time with him. I don't know if you ever thought about this, but everything you have will one day be taken away from you. You can't go to the grave. They're going to put clothes on you because, I mean, if they open the casket, you don't want to see a naked body, right? You got to. You can't take your money. You can't take your success. You can't take whatever your reputation is into the It doesn't pass through to the other side. Jesus says, do the one thing that can't be taken away from you, and that's spending time with me. Let me ask you, what do you need to take off your plate? What do you ruthlessly need to cut out of the rhythm of your life? What things are you doing that drain you rather than energize you? Things that don't give you any joy or spiritual investment at all. What's on your schedule that has no long-term benefit? Those are the things that Jesus would say, take some time away from those things. In fact, don't do them at all. There's one thing that's most important. Mary's doing it. You can do it too. So in the middle of her activity, Jesus tells Martha, just stop it. Stop what you're doing. We're going to benefit from your service. But right now, the most important thing in this room is me. And she's doing that. And I invite you to do that as well. I think a lesson that we can learn, both from the narrative of Elijah, but also in the story of, of Mary and Martha, really two things. Here's the first thing. We're more likely to hear God when we're still. When, when, you're, when you've assumed a posture of or perhaps sitting, or maybe not even sitting, but, but making it so that you can actually listen. Here's the second thing. The purpose of listening to God in prayer is the relationship. You know, a lot of times we think that God just wants me to, to get quiet, slow down, which obviously all of us need. We need to slow down because of the culture that we live in. But I think more importantly, God just wants to create a relationship with us. Jesus wants to be more connected to us. He wants you to have the opportunity to, to quiet yourself so that you would spend some time with him, not, not to get anything from him, but to get him. The third story is about Jesus himself. It's uh, a familiar story. Again, uh, Matthew chapter 3 and 4. This is the story of Jesus' baptism. And so in Matthew 4, we see Jesus beginning his ministry, and 
before he begins his ministry, Jesus has a crossroads. And that crossroads is that the Holy Spirit sends him out into the wilderness that he might be tested. They might be tempted, rather, of, of the devil, of Satan. And, and so at this crossroads, Satan offers Jesus everything. He offers him empires. He offers him the world. He basically says to Jesus, just take a look at all this. I've got everything. I've got authority. I've got a power. I've got, I've got wealth. I've got provision. And it can all be yours. All you got to do is fall down and worship me. But I think what's interesting about this interchange, uh, this crossroads between Jesus and Satan, is we see that Jesus has greater power and greater authority over Satan, not necessarily because he's the second person in the Trinity, but because of what we see in this text that happens to him right at his baptism. Look at verse 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from, he from, from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so these words are, are important for us. If you think about Jesus' life before this point, this moment in time, I mean, what has Jesus done in terms of miracles and all that kind of stuff? Nothing, all right? doesn't mean he could not have, but he hasn't been commissioned for ministry quite yet. So he hasn't done anything. So Jesus has done nothing. And so God is saying to Jesus, all right, but, so, but before you turn water into wine, before you heal a soul, before you go off and do all kinds of miracles, walking on the water, making the water be still, before you go and die on the cross for the sins of the people of the world and resurrect from the dead, before you do any of that, this is what you need to know. I love you because you're my son. You're accepted. I affirm you. You're who you are without doing any of that stuff. God says, you're my son in him. He's my beloved with whom I am well pleased. Those are good words. I don't think it's any accident that as you cross over to in the, in the chapter four, Satan, Satan tempts Jesus with the very words that God has said. Look at verse three. And the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. This is what, this is what Satan's doing. You're, you're the son of God? I mean, really? Prove it. If you're the son of God, tell the, I mean, turn this stone into bread so you can eat it. I know you're hungry. Verse 6. And he said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down. For it's written, he'll command his angels concerning you. Uh, and on their hands, they'll bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. If you're the son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down. God will help you. He'll protect you. He'll send all these angels out to, to come and, and, and take care of you. Because you're looking pretty weak right now from where I stand. And I've got all the power to give you everything that you want. But all I need you to do is bow down and worship me. God, Satan uses 
he tempts Jesus in the same areas that he was affirmed. He counters Jesus in the same way that God has spoken. And you need to know that as you're beginning your day, your every day, your tomorrow, perhaps even your today, that Satan is using those same words against you in all the ways that God has affirmed you. If you have not listened to the voice of God, you have this voice whispering in your ear, prove it. Prove it. Prove that God loves you. Prove that he accepts you. Prove that life, I mean, all the success that you've amassed is, is, is worth it. Prove that you're worth it. You see, if, if we don't have the voice of God in our ear, and if we, don't, if, we don't, if we aren't listening for it, then we have all of these com- competing voices, and it will cause us to, to live and to work and do emails and go to meetings and to parent our kids and to interact with folk and even do ministry out of a desire to prove ourselves to people that we don't even care about. And eventually that voice will lead you into deception. It'll run you ragged. Eventually you'll lead to fear, anxiety, and worry. And it's fair to say that many of us in this room already live from that position already. We're trying to prove our worth, which means we're trying to earn our salvation. And the Bible says that's anti-gospel. There's no good news in that. Because Jesus died on the cross for you in your place if you're a Christian. And if Jesus died for you, then you're accepted by God. He loves you because of Jesus. You're affirmed. There's nothing you can do that will make him love you more. There's nothing that you can do that will make him love you less. You don't have to prove it. I'm not saying it's not right to, 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 to aim for success and to, and to try to be excellent in your life and to labor so that you live a good life. But what I'm saying is, if we're not listening to the voice of God that tells us we are affirmed and accepted, then we will be living and working and laboring so hard out of the wrong frame of mind. And we'll be trying to prove ourselves to people that we don't care about. We'll be running the rat race. I mean, doing all kinds of things, meaningless, mindless activity for nothing. That's why listening to God in prayer is so important. If you and I could hear the voice of God on a regular basis, it would release you and free you to be only those things that God has called you to be. Not, if, not all those things that you're trying to prove yourself to be. Not all those things that everybody's trying to get you to be. You'll just cast those voices aside. You won't need the applause of men. You can let go of all the power and acclaim that you're trying to, to get for yourself. It will make you humble and yet confident to live life in the skin and in the clothes that God has meant for you, not in the ones that people are trying to sew up for you and get you to put on. It's liberating. Here's what God is calling all of us to do in this moment. He's calling us to stop just for a moment to quiet ourselves and to listen to him speak because he wants to affirm you to be the person that he's called you to be. If you aren't hearing what God is calling you to be, you're living you're living life from a different voice. 
All right, so Jeff, how do I do this? All right, this is the hard part. I'm going to give you two practical and one spiritual um, how-to, all right? And so these are things that I've done. I haven't done them necessarily successfully, but let's do them together, okay? Let's commit, let's, let's commit to making these things that help us do the spiritual discipline of listening to God. Here's the first. Make regular space for listening. You can't listen to God if you aren't making space for God to actually speak to you. And, and here's the, the very first practical thing that all of us need to do. We need to read more, people. We need to read more. We're in a society that has, I mean, we don't read as much as we, we, we have in generations past. Um, we spend so much time online, swiping our phones, checking our email, watching TV, listening to music, and all those activities, I mean, they suck the life out of you in, in, in many ways. They make us frantic. We're always, I mean, once we get caught in the, the habit of, of the, the technology of our day, and unfortunately, your kids are growing up in this. They don't know anything else but this. But it, it just adds to the frantic nature of our lives. And so what reading does, and I, of course, I know that I read by my iPad. It's just part of it. But here's what reading does. It, it counteracts all those other ways that we're going from this activity to this activity to this activity, and it helps you to learn to follow a consistent storyline or just stick with one thing for 15 to 20 to 30 minutes, and it systematizes you. I'm not just telling you to read your Bible. You need to read your Bible. You need to read anything. Read a cookbook. Read a magazine. Read a comic book. Read a novel. But I would encourage us all to read more. Make reading a normal part of your life because it's going to counteract some of the stuff that you do online. Two weeks ago, we talked about pathways, a pathway being a spiritual thing that you, a, 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 a spiritual inclination. Like we're in, some of us are inclined to actually read more. Some of us are inclined to, uh, to want to research. Some of us are inclined to be more relational. I, like, I, I sense that I can connect to God when I'm around other people or when I'm out in nature. I would encourage you, go back to that sermon, listen to, listen to who you are in terms of what draws you into God and do those pathways. Why? Because the more you're connected to God, the more you're going to listen to him and hear what he's saying. But here's the, here's the real thing in regards to this one. This really means you need to make some time for silence and solitude. Silence, sit in quiet. Solitude, get alone by yourself. Jesus said to his disciples when they asked him how to pray, when you pray, go in your prayer closet, lock the door, pray in secret. Every once in a while, we need to do that. And I would encourage you, you need to make that, I mean, you, you can't do it unless you do it. And, and you got to start somewhere. So I would encourage you, um, put it in your calendar, make a specific time, decide on a specific place. Perhaps even a specific chair that you go to, and you do it a couple days a week, every day a week, devote a little bit of time to it. Make it a habit. What are you trying to do? You're trying to make that a place where you have trained yourself that I'm going to spend time with God, and I'm going to make room for God to speak to my heart. More importantly, you're trying to create a place where you can relax and hear from him. Second thing, practice the art of listening. This is a funny one. All right, so some of I, my wife tells me I don't listen very well, and I agree with her. 
And so I thought of this for myself, and you all can participate in it with me. So the next time you go out on a date with your spouse, this is what you're going to do. Tell your spouse, all right, so I'm going to practice intentional listening, right? And so you just ask a couple questions, but then stop talking. Just shut up and let your spouse talk so you can listen. And what you're trying to do is train yourself, firstly, to be present, but also to, I mean, to be interested in their world. Here's a second one. Go eat by yourself. We were out eating yesterday, and I saw a guy do this. This is, this is really good. Don't take your phone. Don't pick up a magazine. Don't pick up a book. Um, be attentive as you're eating to the world around you and try to tune in particularly to the conversation that's happening at the tables around you and the things that are going on in the restaurant. What, what's the activity? You're learning to be present, not, not just dial into whatever you and yourself have going on, particularly on our smartphones. Here's another one. This is a hard one. Some of y'all aren't going to be able to do this one. In your car, don't turn on the music. Do that one day this week. As you're going from point A to point B, no music, no sound, no nothing. Some of you, when you get from your home to your work, sit in your car for five minutes with no sound whatsoever. Sit in silence. See what happens. Trim the noise out of your life and develop the skill of listening. Here's the third one. I'll finish with this. Be active in your waiting. This is why we read Psalm 61 and Psalm 62. Um, I, I came across these verses this week. Last week, I, I encouraged you, let's read the Bible together for a, a month. And so I happened upon Psalm 61 and Psalm 62, I think, on the second day of our reading plan, right? And so here's what David does in Psalm 61. He says, hear my cry, O God. Listen to my prayer. From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that's higher than I. What's David doing right there? He's doing what we're going to talk about next week. He's talking to God. Most of us know prayer as like, I'm going to, I'm going to listen. I mean, I got some prayer requests. God, I need you to answer them. That's what David's doing in Psalm 61. Look what he does in Psalm 62. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. Verse 5, for God alone, my soul, oh, my soul, wait in silence, for my hope is from him. Verse 11, once God has spoken, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to the Lord, to God. Psalm 61, David, is he's teaching us. He's telling us about his, the rhythm of his life. Sometimes he talks to God, but then there's some circumstances, usually when he's in trouble or just life is just chaotic, it's confusing, that he needs to pull back and he needs to just like say nothing. He teaches us that we need to be active in our waiting for God. That's what David is doing. He's waiting actively in silence. And this will be a fruitful exercise for many of you. But to do it, you're going to have to set, it out, set aside a few minutes. Um, if you're just starting and you've never done this before, then I would say just do it for five or ten minutes because that's going to seem like a long time for you. Um, and so do this. Open up your Bible and actually read out Psalm 61. And then what's Psalm 61? It's presenting requests to God. And so you got your list of prayers, the things that, that 
that you want to ask God for you and your family and for work and for life and posterity. Write that list all down and say those things to God and say them in about five or ten minutes or one or two minutes if you've never done this before. And then what I want you to do is actually read the words of Psalm 62 out loud and say, all right, Lord, so the Bible tells me that my soul should wait in silence because that because that's where your salvation comes from. And so I'm going to do that. I don't know how to do it, but I'm going to do it. I'm just going to sit here, and I'm going to wait for you in silence. And what you do in those moments is you get as quiet as you can, and you try to discern God speaking to you, speaking to you from the word that he's already given, speaking to your heart the things that he wants you to know in regards to yourself, people he might want you to speak to, contact, text, call, things that are coming up in your day that you need to be prepared for. And I'm, talk, I'm not talking about transcendental you know, meditation and God you know, emptying ourselves. I'm talking about filling yourself up enough with God that he can speak to you from what he's already said. Let me give you some warnings. The first warning is you're going to get distracted. You're gonna, your, your grocery list is going to come up. Your task list is going to come up. You're going to hear all the sounds that you don't normally hear in your house, the clock ticking. You're going to hear the hum of the refrigerator. You're going to, I mean, all kinds of things. Uh, in our house, Zoe's bed squeaks. I mean, she just turns like an like a inch. We hear it. And I hear those things sometimes when I'm, when I'm praying. Uh, here's the other thing. You're going to find out how loud your body is. You're going to hear, if you get quiet enough, you're going to hear your heart beating. You're going to hear your stomach rumbling, saying, feed me. But if you wait long enough, then perhaps, not guaranteed, God is going to say something to you. He's going to say something in the still of the moment that's going to connect you more to him or prepare you for your day. Uh, let me conclude with this. I need that. We need to stop. Um, some of you are here, or perhaps you are here, and you actually have been doing this, just trying to hear God, trying to discern him speaking, not just to the masses, but speaking directly to you, and you want to hear God, but it hadn't happened. And what would my, what would my encouragement be for you? Keep doing it. Wait longer. There's a theology of waiting in Scripture. The Bible is full of stories of people having to wait on God. Think about it. Noah waited. He was waiting for something. He didn't even know what it was. He was waiting for rain so he could fill the earth and kill everybody, make the ark float. Abraham waited for a son of promise, and he waited for 25 years. Joseph waited in prison. Daniel waited in the proximity of, of lions trying to eat him. Jesus waited in the Garden of Gethsemane waiting for God to answer, Lord, if there's any way for this cup to be taken from me, please take it. And he waited, and he waited, and God came back and said, no, you're going to do it. And Jesus responded, nevertheless, not my will but yours. There's, there's something that happens to us when we wait. You learn intimacy with God. You learn to be patient, patiently waiting for him. You love, you learn to love and serve God even in those times when he doesn't give you what you think you need. 
and that's probably the best love of all, to love with no strings attached, you toward God, that, that you say, God, I'm going to love you regardless of what you give me. And I would tell you that's not easy. So let's wait this week. Let's, let's set aside some time for silence and solitude, just a few minutes. This, this is training yourself, training your body to be still, to be quiet, so that God can speak. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I pray that it would encourage us. God, we're not looking to, you're not looking to rebuke us in, in regard to prayer this morning. You're not condemning us. You're inviting us into relationship with you. So I thank you for the, just the goodness in all those ways, God, that you want to commune with us. Thank you for the stories and scripture of people who, who waited for you. And, um, and who waited for you to speak, and, and you did speak. Lord, the psalmist encourages us to wait in silence, and that's really hard. And so I pray your grace on all of us in this room, that you would teach us, that you would help us to labor well, that you would extend your grace to us as we attempt to, to listen to you in prayer this week. More importantly, Lord, I pray, speak to us because your servants are listening. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.